Welcome to the Forensic Cop Podcast. This is LFC Core. Looking forward. Looking back. Okay, so we've had one game now, so that's more than enough to jump to conclusions. And so I'm going to pose a question that I didn't think I would pose this quickly, which is how can Liverpool get rid of Kate at this point? Um, he was in there for the first 60 minutes or whatever it was. Um, and it just felt like the midfield was much more creative and that there was actual danger with the ball going forward. After he was subbed out, it just didn't feel the same way. So you liked his performance? So it's not so much that I, I think he's the player that he was when he le- when he was at other teams. I think there's a lot of potential there. All I'm saying is we simply don't have a player that can do what he can do. He is confident on the ball. Um, you know, when he's got a guy in his back, he always seems to know which way to turn to lose the guy. He seems to be able to go just the right space between like three guys to come out the other end. And he carries the ball in a way that other guys on the team don't carry it. And it just feels like the offense is so much more dangerous and has a new dimension when he's in there. He didn't even look great today because there were times where he disappeared but I really liked what he brought, and I don't see how we can dominate without a guy like him. So what I'm saying is I think we need to keep this guy going forward. I know we talked about we're going to have to figure out what we do, but I mean, given the other options and given the way it looked going forward, I think we need the guy on the team. I'm, I'm, I know it's one game, but I'm kind of sold on him. Yeah, I, I think the the best thing that can happen to him and Liverpool right now is for him to remain injury-free because Klopp will clearly give him the game time, right? And what he needs to do is just to to grow into this team on a consistent basis. He hasn't really had a string of games where he's been able to play himself into the form of the team and stay there because he just gets injured again or something happens, right? So um, it's clear that he his type of game is lacking from our midfield where we end up relying too much on the front three because the the midfield either lacks the creativity or is not given the license to to create to present that that creativity right well i mean there's different creativity which is i think a guy like hendo now that he's gone out of the defensive role i think he's very creative in finding a good through pass or in putting a ball over but I don't see anyone else on the team, maybe even not Firmino, with the creativity to just carry the ball. Like terrifyingly, I think I've seen Matip make more long distance runs than most other players. Right. And even Oxley Chamberlain, his his runs are not of the same ilk, right? His are more dependent on pace and power, as opposed to Keita that like you were saying, he just knows when to twist and turn and he somehow is able to keep hold of the ball and continue going forward. It's like right. three guys come at him. I, I even remember there was a run. I it was I even wrote it down. It was in the 44th minute and it was just multiple guys are coming at him and either they, they just get lulled into not challenging or he's just keeps far enough away from each one at, at just the right time that he just kind of emerges out of all three of them with the ball. 
and still dangerous. And I just, I don't see that with anyone else. And I think that absolutely uh, we need to be able to have a guy like that. And he looks like that guy to me because going out and buying someone who is that good is going to cost way too much. I think this guy's a keeper and we need to, uh, you know, we need to let him develop. If, if injuries can, can stay away, I think we need to keep him. I have, I've actually made up my mind now that I've watched, uh, his first game back. Yeah. I, I, I would like to keep him in and I, I would also hope that he's able to remain injury free. What I would also like us to do is, is to have a player of, of similar playing style as a backup. So that way, when he, I should say, I should say if, but I'm saying when he's injured, um, we don't just all of a sudden revert back to another type of game because we don't have anybody anybody else to carry the ball the way he does. Something similar to what used to happen to us with Coutinho. Our team was just built around him, and then when you take him out of the team, we don't know how to break teams down all of a sudden, right? So it would be good if we keep Keita and perhaps have another similar player maybe a younger player that that were able to pop in from now and then that could play in a similar vein so i i agree with you again i think the cost of a top caliber player who can do that kind of thing is simply too high i mean if if liverpool wouldn't pop you know 50 million for timo Werner, then they're not gonna pay far more for a, a guy who can offer what Keita can offer at the high end um, you know, we're, we're just not going to be able to do that. So what I'm, I guess my crazy thought is, and I never thought I would jump on a bandwagon this fast is having seen one game. I think I'm sold on, this is a guy that needs at least another year where before I was saying this summer, you either decide you keep him or leave him. I think we got to give him much longer rope because there's a lot of special in this guy. Yeah, I agree. I just wouldn't want us to put all of our eggs in his basket, right? So, yes, keep him because he will come good. But I, th- I would not be against also getting somebody else, um, to that that can play that role. If someone like uh, Kai Havers, for instance, becomes available, and yes, he's more expensive than Timo Werner. However, we'd be buying him to jump straight into the first team, so it's a totally different conversation in terms of affordability. I would actually go for him. And then give the two of them the opportunity to 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 decide amongst themselves who ends up being the first choice, or if we're even even able to fit them both into the first team with Fabinho. Let's say that's another option too, because the rest of our midfield is not getting any younger. Well, I mean, Fabinho at the base is gonna be that. I mean, hopefully he can regain his uh, his top end uh, ability. That'll that'll just come, I think, with more reps. The talent is there. The knowledge is there. The body's there. He'll get there. Um, so he's there to stay. Um, uh, to your point, people are aging. Uh, Genie's, I think, 30 or very close to it. Um, Hendo has a lot of miles on him and not kind of the Milner miles that seem to go on forever. Um, you know, there there could be use for, for guys in that midfield. But just, I mean, what Keita brings, I just haven't seen a lot of guys bring. And it's, you know, I remember the beginning of the season watching him and thinking, wow, this is fantastic. Um, but, well, sorry, not the beginning of this season. was the beginning of last season. When he when he joined the first few games, he was fantastic, and then he kind of trailed off. 
um, where Fab started poorly and then came on strong. So I think that was last season. Um, but it was more a case of like, he's reminded me what he can bring. And I think that's so hard to find. A, a guy like Kai Havertz, I don't disagree that he's got, uh, you know, the type of skills that can potentially do that. I just, he's still a young guy. He still has a lot to grow. He hasn't reached his peak. And who knows how he'll transition into English football, where um, Keita has transitioned some. He he doesn't seem to have the physical build to take the physical game that the EPL has. But, I mean, appearances can be deceiving because he comes out of a lot of challenges with that ball. I don't know how he does it, but the, the guy is far stronger or has better balance than, than maybe people realize. And he is able to keep up with the physicality and the speed um, in the Premier League. So, I, I mean, again, I'm sitting here and I'm saying I've, I've never jumped on a bandwagon after one match, but I'm kind of back on this guy's bandwagon. So what are you suggesting that we do if he gets injured over the course of next season? So I would have said if he gets injured uh, before this season ends, I think he's gone. Now, having seen him again, I got to say, you know what? I would give him another season. He's still, well, what I, I mean, think... is, is if we give him another season, right? Yeah. But then he gets injured after three or four games and he's out for two months. How does the team transition at that point? Do we just go back to the 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 old midfield that we we know, which is essentially workman like, or do you have another player that we shoehorn in that can bring that creativity that Cater does? Well, I mean, clearly, when you're talking about creativity in the midfield and injuries, you talk about Shaq. Um, no, so uh, of course Shaq won't be there. I would agree; it'd be nice to get a new guy. Um, I think after after the match on that podcast, we talked about uh, how you can see uh, that Liverpool needs some new blood. Potentially, that's where you look for the new blood. But I don't know if they'll be that aggressive in this uh, summer transfer window uh, because of all the lost money with COVID. So um, I. I think that, yeah, I think you keep Keita. Um, I was kind of on the, um, this summer, just just get rid of him. We need, you know, to have a guy who we know will be get week in, week out. But he's just so brilliant and he showed so much in so little time, having played so little um, in this game against Everton this last week that I'm just, I'm I'm in love with him again. So I, I would give him more time. And yeah, if we need to go back to the standard workman-like midfield and just kick the ball up to the front three and let them find a way to score, hey, I mean, that that won us a Champions League. So you know what? Maybe not the worst thing in the world to do. Yeah, until the African Nations Cup comes and then we lose Mane, Salah, and Keita for a month or six weeks. So that'd be exciting times. Yeah, I don't know how everything's going to be affected because, um, again, the Olympics are are talking about being moved. Um, cups need to be moved. I, I don't know what's going to happen, but to your point, I think you're right. Um, uh, the World Cup, it's supposed to now be held in the winter because... In the winter, yeah. Right, so... so be adjusting that the season prior to the World Cup. So, yeah, uh, that, I think there's a lot of juggling that needs to be done and... It's an amazing opportunity for FIFA, UEFA, and the powers that be to all put have the same conversation and work together. But unfortunately, we know that's not going to happen. And no, of course not. Overlap and players are going to get injured over the summer because they'll be playing too much and they won't have rest. 
But so. but my my main point is regardless of who they bring in, which I agree with you, I think they need to bring people in. Are you now, or maybe you never left the Cata bandwagon, but you find yourself on the Cata bandwagon again after the Everton performance? Absolutely, absolutely. And, and, and I think what's key there is who he was playing with. So he had Fabinho and Henderson. I don't think he works well with Wijnaldum because they tend to try to play the same type of game, except G, um, not Genie. Keita has a little bit more creativity um, in him, right? But with Henderson, he's an intelligent player where he knows he he knows that when he's playing with certain players, he can drop off or he he can push more. So he he he'll be able to leave space for Keita to run the midfield, and then Fabinho would just be there to pick up the pieces. Okay, so uh, were you were you always on the Keita bandwagon, or has this kind of got you back on? I think I was always on the Keita bandwagon. Okay, I I, I, I had fallen off. I have to admit, yeah, I was always going to get the extra year, but the question is whether or not he'd play. Well, I mean, with this performance, again, it wasn't a full game, but if he can come out and give 50, 60 minutes like this until maybe he's back in game shape, or heck, I'd even take 50, 60 minutes of this uh, for a full season or two. If, if this is all he's limited to because they don't want him to get injured and they play him an hour every game, that's actually okay with me. You know, he's he's so good. He brings so much to the table. Um, he just opens up the other team. It would have been phenomenal to see Salah there because you know Salah pulls players, Keita pulls players. Um, it would have opened up a whole lot. So I'm I'm super excited about him going forward. And maybe it says more about me than about Keita, but uh, I know I've been negative on him and, and said that he just needs to be gone this summer. But you know what? I'm back on the bandwagon. He's like the proverbial like a new signing facts and figures so i read an article where jürgen klopp was saying he doesn't believe it's possible to match sir alex ferguson's manchester united achievements from the past and then roy hodgson chimed in and said that he disagrees with that and thinks that it is possible what are your thoughts on that so I think it's in general extremely difficult to compare two eras just because um, any sport and in particular football has changed a lot. Um, again, uh, Sir Alex Ferguson was for a very long period of time. So talking about kind of a, a dynasty like that, um, you know, which stretched so much time is difficult. But I, I just kind of feel like the game is different today, regardless of uh, of Roy Hodgson saying you know, it's not that difficult or it's not that different. I think there are a lot of things that play into it, uh, not the least of which is that uh, Sir Alex didn't have to play against, um, you know, Saudi money, for example. Um, he got to be top dog. So I just, I think it's it's very difficult to make the claim they could dominate today like they did then. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, the other thing too is... Um... It's only it's only with the advantage of hindsight that we look back at that era and we all say and we all know that Manchester United dominated it. But during the time, it wasn't as if they were running away with the league every single year. There was always competition, whether it was from Arsenal or sometimes Chelsea, right? However, over the course of the 15, 20-year period, then of course, yes, he dominated. But so at that time, he had rivalries with Blackburn, Liverpool, Arsenal, Chelsea, as I mentioned. 
So I would actually turn around. So you know me. Once once I get an idea in my head, I start uh, looking at the numbers because I can't help it. And of course, this is facts and figures. So the numbers kind of matter. And I'm going to make a wildly inflammatory statement here, which is that Man U was never that good. Um, and I don't mean that in that they weren't a good team. I mean, when you actually look at their point totals, um, they were in around like the 80 points um, year in, year out. I mean, in, in 96, 97, they won the league with 75 points. Then you look at um, a few years later, uh, they had 77 points. And they lost and were in third because Arsenal-Liverpool had more points. So to some degree, I do think it's kind of wishful thinking to say that the league is the same as it was back then. Because, I mean, look at Liverpool getting, what, 99 points and not winning the title. Um, in their best year, I think, Man U, in 99-2000, in they got 91 points to win the league. But that was kind of an outlier. They were in around the 80-point mark year in and year out, and that consistency got them many titles as opposed to what you said is at the time they weren't viewed as this one single dominant team year winning year in year out because they weren't yeah there was there was always enough competition that made you question whether they could do it again next season i i I do remember that much it's not like in italy with juventus winning however many in a row or celtic in scotland right it's or bayern very yeah bayern or uh psg it was very competitive it's just that in hindsight we can sit back and say that, yes, Sir Alex Ferguson dominated the the English league for two decades. Well, but again, I think we need to really think about what does dominated mean because he won titles, numerous titles, but at no point did he run away with the league. Like There wasn't a point where everyone was looking and saying, okay, we have 10 games left to play and nobody gives about the title because they all know the Liverpool's won it. Um, or in the, his case, that Man U's won it. Like there was none of those where they were just so far out in front. Um, in 92-93, they won by 10 points. They had 84 points. They won by 10 points. But then you look at their next titles. They had 80, 82 points, 75 points, 79 points. The one special year, 91 points. In 2000-2001, they had 80 points. 2001-2002, they had 77 points. Like you're not talking like really truly dominating the league where you're counting your losses on one hand or you're saying, you know, every game these guys are going into, if they lose, it's a shock. Whereas with Liverpool or even Man City, I think it's fair to say when they lose, we're all pretty shocked. Yeah, and it seems to only have been Man City and now Liverpool that have brought this on. Perhaps Chelsea, three was it three or four years ago when they wanted to? But yeah, in the past, the the yardstick was the champions don't lose more than five games a season, right? Now, good luck if if they even lose one or two, right? And and I think that goes to show how far ahead Liverpool and Man City are from the rest of the challengers, let alone the rest of the teams. But again, like like I said, um, Manchester United. During Sir Alex Ferguson, there was all there were always about four teams that could beat them and would beat them throughout the season. It's just that they were very good at beating the lesser teams consistently. Yeah, so the consistency I think is there when you look at their record year in year out, you see the consistency. But then, and this is the other argument that we've had over Man City, um, which we can enjoy now over Man U, which is what level of greatness do you need to spend more money than everybody else and win? 
right? Like at some point when you're spending so much, um, you know, and I, I kind of looked back at their history. So they bought Roy Keane in 93 for a record price, which they then broke in 95 when they bought Andy Cole. So, you know, we're talking, looking at Liverpool, they're not the ones setting the transfer market records. You know, we're not the ones throwing around these astronomical amounts. I mean, we did essentially one time for um, Allison, and that got broken within what a week and a half. And then we did for a defender and that got broken next year by Man U. So we're not, we're not that far ahead financially. And I mean, it's hard to find financial numbers from back then, but like, it's, it's kind of shocking to think old Trafford has been around for, I mean, I don't know, 80 years, like I think 1939, they had their highest crowd. So like really put that in perspective. Um, so they have 75,000 spectators every game back in 92, uh, when sir, when this EPL thing started, um, Liverpool isn't even there now after having made multiple additions. So, um, they've always enjoyed that extra money coming in from the gate. And let's, let's not forget that back in 92, when this whole thing started, there was very little money from TV. There was less than $200,000, uh, 200 million pounds for um, the, the TV rights. And now it's over 10 billion. So it wasn't a ton of money. Like your gate really mattered back then. It's funny because we're talking right now during COVID and they're throwing away the gates because it's everyone's okay if they don't have the money from the gate. Yeah, the irony, yeah. Yes. So it, it, is what you're saying that the Manchester team in the 90s and 2000s dominate or quote unquote dominated because they were more financially able to? So, I mean, yes, I'm saying that to a degree, but more, you know, because again, I'm not looking to, uh, I the financial information from back then just isn't complete enough for me to make that statement. What I can tell you is, when you look at the total team spend and the average salary in the EPL, um, Man U goes along um, at just over a hundred times average salary. Um, so, you know, when the average is say a million dollars, they're spending 110 million on salary. Liverpool doesn't do that, and right now we're at about 36 36 times average salary. So we're basically at a third the salary. Um, uh, multiplier that men you operated at during the Sir Alex Ferguson era and year in year out, they were at that level. So again, that's where I'm kind of saying, you know, when, uh, when, uh, Roy Hodgson says, you know what? Um, I don't think it's any harder now and Liverpool can do it. You know, I'm not sure I buy that because it's clear that, that man, you has enjoyed a salary, um, the ability to pay a ridiculous salary that Liverpool just doesn't enjoy right now. So as you were talking, I think I realize what the common denominator here is. It's keeping a consistent team, keeping a winning team together, right? So the reason why Manchester United did so well when they did is the same reason why Arsenal and Chelsea also did well for maybe three or four years within that period is because they kept a winning team together. And it was only once the uh, teams were disbanded that they lost the dominance. But meanwhile, the Manchester United always had that core of, of, of uh, um, they had the core 
team from the mid nineties, as well as the manager in place. And so they could just always go again every season. And, and and part of the reason they're able to do that again is because why do teams lose players? Look at Liverpool. Why did Liverpool right. lose Coutinho? Because someone had more money. Well, that's not a problem for Man U. They didn't lose players. During that period, during the Sir Alex Ferguson years, um, Man U picked off players from Liverpool. Right. Right? So again... Um, wait, did they? Apparently so. Again, I'm not as much of a history buff, but I actually looked at some of the transfers from back then, and they were able to buy guys from Liverpool too. Um, Manchester United, sorry, Michael Owen, but not directly. Oh, no, this is before. This is in the early 90s. Okay. So just my my thing to it is, I think, um, A, I think building a a dynasty right now is going to be much harder because, you know, it doesn't take 80 points to win a title. It clearly takes more than that. I think that level has been set. And then B, if a team's going to do it, I don't know if it can be Liverpool because we just don't have that financial power that Man U clearly enjoyed in the 90s and early 2000s. So that's where I'll disagree. I think that, of course, having the financial power is huge and we do have enough financial power to sustain a period of domination if we keep our players together. And I think Klopp knows that, right? So I think that's why they're they're they're, they're so focused on renewing people's contracts, keeping a winning team together because other team will, will will come and go and they'll be in flux, they'll be changing managers, changing players, but if we keep our team consistent, we'll we'll, we'll win a league every other year for the next 5 to 6 years. Well, but that's predicated on the potential that we don't buy a guy like say Keda who doesn't work out. Cuz I mean, look at something as simple as uh Werner. You know, okay. putting out 50 million pounds was just not an option because you know as as Klopp said, he's like I can't pay this pay 50 million for this guy and have him sit on the bench and meanwhile these other players that are playing for us now are going to say, "Well, where's my money?" So what I'm trying to get at is I think it's possible. It's just harder. And again, don't forget, 80 points isn't winning the title. No. It's not even, with 80 points, you're not even guaranteed top four these days. Yeah. So like, you know, again, if if you're looking at, um, you know, can it be repeated? I think we could potentially talk about a stretch of domination um, for or, or a stretch of 80 plus points for maybe a decade, but that could lead you to like one title, right? You, you legitimately need to get to the 90 to a hundred points year in year out. If you're going to win a title. Yeah. And, it- and, and man, you didn't do that year in year out. They did it like once or twice. Yes, but it, it like you were saying, it was a different era, right? So it was it would have been unheard of for a team to to consistent or to to get over ninety points two two to three seasons in a row. It would have been unheard of because there were that many other good teams around the same level, right? As opposed to now, where there's clearly two teams that are much better than everybody else and can turn it on and, and kill all the other teams easily, right? Well, but what I would say is it's a lot easier to have the quote-unquote dominance that Man U had when you don't have two killer sharks in the water with you. 
right? Yeah. So what what we really have here is Liverpool and Manchester City are the outliers. If you take us out of the league, that's essentially your typical league of of the 90s and 2000s. You know what? Right. Let's simplify it. How about this? I would agree with Roy Hodgson, and I wonder if Klopp would change his tune if Man City didn't exist. Say Man City was never bought by Sheik, whatever his name is, and they didn't That's sink all that money in. I think it would be extreme. So we'd already have our title, um, and it'd be incredibly difficult to not foresee this as beyond Sir Alex Ferguson domination. And I think the the reason we're being held back is because of the pot loads of money and cheating, let's face it, they've been now caught, what, two or three times that Man City has. Um, because of that, I think we're held back. Because 80 points, you know what? 80 point at least gets you in the top, you know, gets you in Champions League year in, year out. You can talk about dominance after a while. But needing 100 points, it's, it's, it's just you're not winning. If you don't win titles, you can't be dominant. You need multiple on, titles. On the flip side, it could be argued that it's it's specifically because of Man City that we are this good, because they've pushed us and they've they've forced us to to think beyond the box and to build a team that's this incredible. So that's actually a really good way of thinking about it, and I don't disagree with you. I think if Klopp came here and there was no Man City, he would build a, a consistent team that. Maybe he wouldn't have changed some players. Maybe he would have said, this guy's good enough. I can work with him. But instead, he's gone out and completely rebuilt the team because he knows when you're chasing 100 points, you know what? You you can't have anybody who's not pulling their weight times two. And so so to your point, I think we're as good as we are because of Man U. But at the same time, I think Man U is holding us back because it is a different league. Man there City. was, sorry, Man City. There is There was no Man City back then for, for Alex Ferguson. I mean, imagine if there was. Year in, year well, out, was, they'd get 80 points. The, the first couple of years, Blackburn were essentially the Man City, but then that didn't last too long. Right, but they weren't getting 100 points. No, not in terms of the points, but in terms of they were spending a lot more money than everybody else. And and, and they were able to win the league with it, right? But they exactly. just didn't keep that team together. Um, I, I believe the... The, the owner passed away and, and the rest is history. Yeah, so I mean, uh, again, I think teams come and go. I think to your point, I think Sir Alex Ferguson was very smart in that he kept the core together and he yeah. kept rolling with that core, which is something I think that Klopp wants because he sees guys like Genie and Hendo getting on in the years, but he's brought in guys like Minamino and Keita who are younger and those guys will then take over the core. And so you can potentially get this churning team year after year after year where the core never really disappears because it kind of changes hands slowly but again it's it's man city if man city wasn't there i would say hey we got a chance but you know when we we just can't keep up with that salary maybe if man city started spending the way uh, man U spends and and overpays for the wrong players we could talk about it but Again, it's it's we're we're at a financial disadvantage, which is something that Man U didn't really have during those twenty years. So again, I come back to I just I don't think it's the same league thanks to a team like Man City, and I don't think it's a, a the same comparison just because of financial reasons. Critique and commentary. So uh, the Everton game gave us another uh, Lovren sign sighting, and as per usual, it wasn't a great display. 
And it legitimately got me to ask a question that I know you're going to think is crazy. And I feel a bit crazy for asking it, but we were really close. Had we not had that one last substitute to playing essentially without a defender when Matip went down. Um, If we had the choice, would you rather play with Lovren in the back the way we had it? Or would you rather have played 10 men? I know it's crazy, but, but, and I know no team would ever want to go to 10 men, but think about it like this. First of all, Gomez would come across and he would play as defensive partner, um, potentially, or Fabinho would come back. So your defensive line would still be strong. You would probably have Ox would come back into your midfield. You could potentially leave, uh, just, uh, um, uh, Mane up front or Mane and Firmino up front, you could play uh, just, I guess, Mane up front and you would play a 4 4 1 or something like that, like potentially. All I'm saying is, uh, Lovren is not just that he makes mistakes, it's that if you play with 10 men, you know what you have. If you're playing with Lovren, you don't know what on earth the guy's going to do. And we saw that. So I ask you legitimately, would you rather play 10 men or with Lovren at the back? I think with our normal team, I'd rather play 10 men. So if we had Salah, Mane, Firmino up front, then I'd be more than comfortable playing with 10 men. So I guess somebody would have to drop back, right? So assuming Fabinho drops into the defense, so we we lose a midfielder, so... Firmino drops a little bit back into the midfield. Uh, Hendo can come back into the holding spot. Yeah, exactly. Right. So I still trust our offense to create them enough problems that they wouldn't just push us. Um, But with the team that we had in the Everton game in, in the last half hour or whatever it was, I would not be confident enough playing with, with, with those 10 men. So but but question. to my question though, were you confident playing with Lovren? Normally, I wouldn't be, but in the Everton game, like I said, when I watched it, I was very relaxed because worst case, we lose the game, right? We lose at Goodison for the first time in ten years. So what, <laughs> right? No, <laughs> no, no we we it. lose to Everton for the first time in ten years. That's I'd much rather. Big. I'd much rather lose lose the record in those circumstances than say in a huge game next season in front of a packed stadium. At some no, point, no. they're going to beat us. But don't right? get me so, wrong. But what I'm I'm asking about is a theoretical, the the chaos and question marks that Lovren brings to your D. And again, when he is on, you can very much tell that he used to be a very good defender, but he just makes these mistakes. And he stumbles over his own feet and then he falls over himself again. Like he literally fell down twice in the span of 10 seconds with nobody touching him. Like it was mind blowing. So here's, here's the thing for me. You can see the difference in Van Dyke um, when Lovren is playing with him. You can see the difference in Allison when Lovren is playing. Uh, what I'm thinking is at least if you're down to 10, Everyone knows what they're getting from everyone else. Where with Lovren, you've got no idea. I don't disagree with you. Um, <laughs> you know that I'm not his his hugest fan. 
or not a fan at all. He does have the occasional good, good solid game, but those are not worth the aggravation that that is caused when when he, especially when he 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 joins the game in the middle of it, right? So not where he started the game, he's able to kind of play into some type of normality, right? Yeah. Um, when he when he comes in as a sub, the other team immediately says, "Oh, okay, perfect. That's that's who we're gonna target, right?" Even when he doesn't come in as a sub, if he's in the game, they know to target him, which means Van Dyke or whoever his partner is has to shade off and help him more than he would anybody else. Yes. So to answer your question, yes, in certain scenarios, I would not want to play with 10 men against Man City, no matter who who's on our team. Hold on. Right. Don't. So I knew you were going to go there. And I say don't go there because I still remember how Lovren, for God knows what reason, played that turn so poorly on the guy that he was able to put in the top of the net past Allison. So I still remember that, and that was 100% Lovren's fault. So he, like, that's my thought. Him in the game is almost a guaranteed prime chance or two. Whereas if you're down to 10 men and you know what everyone's giving you, I mean, Liverpool might legitimately be able to just avoid giving up that one or two gold chances. I mean, look at look at the Everton game. Him tripping was just gave up a huge chance. The best chance they had of the game to that point was just because the guy couldn't stay on his feet. I guess it, it all it, it all comes down to Klopp, right? I remember when Mane was sent off against Man City about three years ago, and they just totally destroyed us because Klopp just chose not to play in a certain way with 10 men. He wasn't really playing tight and he wasn't attacking. He was just, it was, it was almost as if he had already given up the game, right? Then there was another game where Henderson was sent off, I believe. I forget who it was against. Yeah, I remember there. that game. He didn't even bother waiting for the red card. He just started walking off. He started walking off, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But at that point, perhaps the, the team had grown in confidence. So we were able to see the game through. So if, if we we had 10 men against Everton. I don't know wh- how Klopp would, would position his players and, and tell them how to play. Would he play tight or would he just play his regular game trusting his players? I don't know. Um, but- I I mean, I think in, in any match against the top flight team, like, you know, the best in the EPL, the best in the world, playing with 10 men or playing with Lovren, you're going to be in trouble to some degree. Um, but what I'm asking is like, and I... Again, I know we've ragged on the guy, but like the example against Everton just kind of reinforced to me, like seeing seeing him trip, seeing Van Dyke have to come across, everyone's out of position, it's utter chaos. Allison has to make a point blank save, which again, it was shot right at him. He's gonna make that save. People were cutting down angles. Well, I get that. But just the chaos that that Lovren brings into the side with his just sometimes bizarre play. Is it almost worth it to go a man down? The fact that I'm asking this question and you're saying it depends is pretty damning. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, let's, let's be honest. I expected you to go with, Oh, hell no from the beginning and then maybe get to it depends. But the fact that you started at depends means maybe it's not as crazy as I'm saying. Trust me, when you've watched Lovren for six, seven years, you've seen it all. I just... No, you know what? I thought I'd seen it all. And then today's, like, I don't know, his inability... 
yeah, it's, it's just, it was bad. It was just bad. I don't even know what to say. I just, I just really hope that Klopp doesn't see something that we don't see because Lovren is, is, is the last piece that needs to, to be, um, cut from, from this team in order to be able to just let go of that past of failure and, and, um, I don't know. Every, every time he's on, he just reminds me of an, of another time. Yeah. And, and I get that. Yeah. I mean, moved on. We have the only thought would be maybe his tightness with Mo Salah is something, but I got to believe, I mean, we're all professional, like they're all professionals. I kind of move on with it. I mean, now I'm sitting here and I'm wondering like David Luiz is a goof and which one of them is worse. But I mean, it's not even that like legitimately to my point, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of leaning towards, I would rather play with 10. So, so here's a, here's the actual better question. Would you prefer to have Lovren or David Luis in your team? And I and I have high confidence in saying ten men. I would rather play the whole game with ten men, a solid defense, a solid midfield, and then a counter of uh, Salah and Mane, or maybe Origi and, and Mane. Because I could see those guys getting up the field. I could see the good long balls coming up. Alexander Arnold, Robbo maybe coming up the sides, helping out, doing something. I could maybe see some offense generated that way. But I mean, Lovren was like looking for ways for Liverpool to lose against Everton, and he almost found it. So, to your question, which one do you prefer? I would actually take 10 men. Although I don't know. I think they're both so terrible. I think maybe Lovren, because David Luiz is up for like, five to ten errors a game where Lovren's maybe at like three or four I don't know if it's because I've just watched Lovren so much up close that I I'm questioning whether I would not prefer David Luiz again uh, with Van Dyke as opposed to Lovren and Van Dyke because I suspect Klopp would be able to get more out of David Luiz than he's able to get out of Lovren that's just a theory in my head so I think that's probably a bit of bias against Lovren because we've seen him much more. Um, right. When I have watched games with David Luiz, um, even the non-highlights, like even the ones that don't go in, you just sit there and you're like, oh my God, like he's supposed to be a leader on the team and I don't see it. He can't make, like even just the basic skill level, you know, and it's not that he doesn't have the fight in him. It's just he's got stupid fight in him sometimes where Lovren will be caught on the wrong side of a guy, but at least the guy battles all the way. Um, and David Luiz is a red card machine. So, I mean, again, maybe just, okay, okay, there you go. I will give it, I've convinced myself, I will give it the edge to Lovren because he doesn't get the red card as often. That being said, taking either one of those guys off the field, I don't think is a huge loss. Okay. If we had to keep 11 men and Lovren was, was on the field, where would you play him in order to keep him out of the way? Would, would you put him up front? In, in, in the Camino role? <laughs> right, just roaming around, <laughs> causing chaos in the, on the side of the field. You know what? I honestly don't know. But like the thing was, if he was this error prone guy on the front line, I'd be perfectly fine with it because right. he still produces well, like 
90% of the time and the 10% of the time he makes his boneheaded plays, it doesn't cost you a goal. Exactly. But, but to your point on defense, you know what? I would put him, and you're going to be like, that's crazy. I would put him center forward. Absolutely. That, I, think, I think that's where I would as well. And you know why? Because I would tell him, run your error-prone ass into that box and you head whatever Alexander-Arnold and Rob will put your way. You right. fight for that ball and you head it in. Because you know what? He can still do that pretty well. Yeah. I would actually love to see Klopp try that for a game. Once we've won the title and we're just playing the kids, they should put Lovren up front. <laughs> it would, you I know would, what? It could give the guy a new lease on life. Yeah, I mean he's he's. I know it's. I don't want to say he's not like he's done as a defender, but he's he's not going to be playing high level defense for much longer. Maybe as a forward, he's got power. He's got some speed. He's not the slowest guy, um, and he's got a, a fairly decent pass. If I recall, he's had some nice lobs down the field, so he's got a decent foot. And man, he can he head it and fight for the ball. So, yeah, you know what? I'm I, I take that. I have now changed my mind. You have changed my mind. I would not play with ten men. I would rather put Lovren at center forward and move someone else to the back. And you the have convinced me is that he's he's a proud uh, player. So hopefully that would take the hint that okay, it's time for me to get out of it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think he knows it's time to get out. I don't think uh, I don't think he's missing that one. But again, who would want to leave Liverpool while the ship is this high, right? So, you know, maybe he gets his uh, his EPL title now. He's got the Champions League title, and he goes somewhere else. Again, the guy's done a lot for the team. I, I don't want to knock him. Today's, uh, or rather, the the performance against Everton was just uh, not was not good. Um, just very not good, and so it, it made me. Um, really question: Do I even want this guy on the field? But you have you. I I tip my hat to you, sir. You are correct. I would rather play with eleven men with him standing in the middle of the box waiting to head the ball. If that's all he does, that's still productive to me. Well done. There we go. Lovren is a false nine. Love it. Absolutely. That's the new way. Klopp, give us a call. We're happy to help you out with all your strategy. For more stories, analysis, and articles, go to the forensicop.com website.